Hello, everybody, and welcome. Thank you for joining us here on the Unalike podcast. We are very pleased, honored, and privileged to have Dr. Kevin Dyson with us today. We are going back to the principal's office to catch up with him and find out what is going on in middle school. Dr. Dyson, welcome to the show. Hey, appreciate you having me. You and I have a connection, and, and that's actually my husband, Dustin, who is a an old time friend of yours, clear back mm-hmm. to middle school and high school days. Yeah, one of my best friends in high school. I don't know how many times the little Yoda, little yellow Toyota picked me up for practice and games. And the more we are apart, the more we all stay connected. I think we, you know, we're getting older and I haven't lived in Utah in a long time, but you know, I can always catch up with people and reminisce and it's fun. It's fun to see people and and uh feel somewhat connected to home sometimes. Well, it's been a lot of fun for he and I to talk about some of those old memories. I want to start off today by asking you a question about an old memory and see if you can guess this. um, And so here's the hint. January 8th, 2000. Oh, I know that date pretty well. Do you? (laughs) I do. I do. You know, um, that's the day of the museum miracle. And um, it was interesting about that is, um, you know, I, I, I've told people, you know, I played professional sports and some people will say I'm famous and I never necessarily thought that about myself, but it's a whole nother story. But the NFL is made up of a lot of guys who come in and out the league and people don't talk about them. You know, they've put in a lot of sweat and tears and pain and injuries and all the like, like the Hall of Famers that are completely um, remembered and immortalized and sent to Canton. Um, guys like myself who had injuries and was somewhat of a role player in my time in the National Football League, but to have something like the Music City Miracle that's still talked about 21 years later, golly, that's still talked about 21 years later, man, something I'm very appreciative and humbled by because like I said, there's a lot of guys that come in out that league that nobody even talks about. So it's made me stay relevant and and add up and if things as far as my my pro days are concerned. This was an AFC wild card playoff game against Buffalo and down to the last 16 mm-hmm. seconds of the game. And your team had the idea to to uh, do a play that you mm-hmm. had talked about practice run through. Um, do you knew this was coming? Walk us through that a little bit. I wasn't supposed to be on the field at the time. See, I, I was a, a starter in the national football league at the time. And typically, uh, only time I would play special teams was in a situation where we're trying to seal the deal, which would have been a hands team. And they started calling my name and I was a little taken by it. Like, why are they calling my name? They just took the lead talking about Buffalo. He's hit 25 of 34 this year for the game. He got it from 41 yards. And when they when they called my name, they started, you know, hey, we're going to run, home run, throwback. You got to get in position. Uh, Derek Mason is out, so you got to, you know, they're going to lateral the ball to you. And say they were trying to explain it to me. Well, the irony of the whole thing was not only was I not a part of the original game plan for this, I had never run the play before that moment, uh, so by that time, Derek Mason, the normal kick returner, he got hit and was concussed. And so he couldn't finish the game. Well, his backup is Anthony Dorsett Jr., 
Well, he started cramping up late in the fourth quarter and couldn't run. So I guess because I had return kicks in college and high school and things of that nature, they just, they saw me and say, hey, Dyson, come in. So get to the field. They're, they're explaining everything to me. Isaac Bird, who is on the field with me, he should have been in the position I was in had the injuries and other injuries had not occurred. And he was trying to explain to me. So how the play was supposed to work was there. We play for what we call the squib, that low tumbling kick that uh, most people do to make sure you don't get a big return. You kick it to the big guys. Well, we put Frank Wycheck in the game to feel that. Well, they blooped it. Lorenzo Neal literally told Frank Wycheck, hey, they're going to kick it to me. Come get it from me. Like he ordained it. Like he like literally said, it's coming to me. Like, I don't know how he figured that out. And he yeah. sure never did. He gave the Frank Wycheck. I saw I was last man standing. And, you know, I've always had coaches say to me, you know, sometimes a player has to be a player, go go against the grain. You know, the play is supposed to be run a certain type of way. But sometimes um, I was last man guy there. I was last man standing there. He lateral it to me and and rest is history. You caught it first mm-hmm. and foremost. Well, yes. And that, that, you know, and people have asked me that over the years, like you caught it. What if you didn't catch it? Well, it was considered a lateral. So in essence, that would have been a fumble. So I still could have picked it up and ran. But if I, if I would have bobbled it and run it, the timing would have, of how the play worked out, it wouldn't have been as, as, as sweet as it was because they wouldn't have been able to recover. I might not have scored. So it, it was a tough catch. And, um, you know, again, like I said, 20 plus years now later, people still talk about it. Sure. Made a lot of people happy that day. And and beyond beyond Tennessee, the entire football nation, football world, yeah, as you reference, will will forever remember that play. So a a neat part to your story is that it didn't end there. Uh, We're going to fast forward a couple of weeks to January 30th. Because of that play, you helped advance your team to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And we got down to the very last play of the game. Mm-hmm. And the ball came your direction. What happened next? Well, they just say I came up a little short. It is caught by Dyson. Can he get in? No, he cannot. Mike Jones made the tackle. What's interesting about being tackled a yard short uh, in the Super Bowl, nonetheless, that was the first time uh, I had ever dealt with that kind of failure, if you will, uh, when it came to sports. Uh, I've had always been pretty successful, whether it be game-winning baskets, uh, kicking a game-winning goal, making a game-winning catch or something like that. That was the first time in the biggest game of my life that I wasn't successful. Um and it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times coaches and a lot of people, we either compare life to sport or military. You know, you got to got to persevere. You got to show grit. You got to get up and pull your boots up and you got to dust yourself off. You know, you got to, you know, all those analogies. And I went from a moment where I wasn't supposed to be part of playing. I was completely successful. I wasn't even supposed to be on the field at the time to uh, a play where I'm in the progression I knew I was getting or had a chance to get the football and I didn't get it done and having to deal with both 
um, aspects of that, especially for the past 20 years, taking the good with the bad um, and being able to utilize that for whatever reason, whether I'm teaching or mentoring or whatever, um, it's, 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 it shows you just how fast life can change. And, we, and then you can even equate that to the pandemic, you know, as we, this landscape keeps changing and the rules keep changing. Now there's a new variant that's threatening to come over to the United States and we have to adjust. And sports, if nothing else, has always taught me that, you know, um, it, it, there was a moment after I came up short that I laid there and I wanted to sulk. But it was almost like I got a, a swift kick in the head. Like you've had coaches tell you, don't let your opponent see you down. You get up in grace, you shake their hand, be a good sport. And then you go in private and you, you, you sulk, cry, whatever it is. And I just remember that. And I looked up and the yellow and, and our gold and blue confetti was falling down. And I just, I soaked, I wanted to soak in that moment, that, that defeat, that, that, that pain. I wanted to soak in because I wanted to return and have the other result. And I, and I looked up, I saw it coming down and um, I went around, said some congratulations, went to my locker and sat there for about 15, 20 minutes before I got undressed and got in the shower. And, um, but you know, it was one of the toughest things I've ever had to be a part of, especially in sports. Yeah. Mike Jones with that tackle. Have you ever talked to him since then? Yeah, we, we've, we've remained friends over the past 20 years. Uh, I'll tell you that very next summer we scrimmaged them. We went down to Missouri and did our inner squad scrimmage with them um, before we played them in a preseason game. And we did some interviews with Stuart Scott and ESP and a couple other places, you know, cause course we're scrimmaging each other and uh one thing he always said man to kind of ease that pain was you know that play could easily gone anywhere he said I just happened to get my arm around and and put it on my left knee not able to so I wasn't able to extend he said basically my momentum uh, helped him make that play and hearing him say that and humbled by it you know, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, that was the greatest play, greatest tackle, Super Bowl history. You know, like, he was just like, shoot, I was dog tired. I, you know, I left my feet hoping I'd get my hands around his knee. And once I did, I was just like hoping he have enough to carry me in the end zone. I mean, he was very humbled by it. And, you know, sure. we'll always be bond, have a bond because of that play. We've done several interviews since then. We've done a TV special or a Super Bowl special together where he was, He's coaching in college now, and he was uh, out in Tennessee recruiting, and they brought him by the school, and we watched the play, and that was the first time I had watched the drive. We watched the whole drive, I should say. That was the first time besides playing in it that I had watched it. Well, you continued to stay involved with the NFL through 2005, and at that mm -hmm. point, as that chapter of your life came to an end, yeah. you decided to go back to school, and you pursued a master's degree, followed up a couple of years later with your doctorate, and you got your master's in education, correct? Well, my first one, I got two master's degrees. Two don't, master's, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother story. I'm, that's That wasn't intentional. It just circumstance but it happened first when I got was intentional it was uh I was thinking when I retired I didn't know if I wanted to coach or you know exactly where direction I wanted to go but I was teaching and I knew I wanted to coach so I thought well if I'm gonna be in secondary education I'd like to be an athletic director and a football coach so I went back to get my master's in leadership educational leadership 
you know, I wanted to be able to be in position to hold an administrative position. And at that time, my mindset was on being an athletic director, that kind of administrative position. Well, sure. I was working in a private school at the time. And so I didn't necessarily have to have a teaching license, but I, I moved into a public school under a interim type license and I had to get my teaching certification. So I went back, got my second master's in education. So yes, I have a master's in education teaching, but my first master was actually in leadership. And then as you mentioned, I, I got my doctorate in leadership as well. So you've been in the schools for a few years now, close to yeah. 10, 15 years. And yeah. I know that uh, you've, you've been in your current position at the middle school for two years. Yeah. On your website, as a letter to parents, um, you indicate that nothing is more important than the future of your children. Yeah. I want to go back to those days, those early days when you were a small boy growing up in Utah, Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about the circumstances that you were raised in. I, I know you've mentioned that um, Utah is a unique, and I can say this, I live here, but Utah's a little bit of a bubble. There's yeah. a, a predominant culture here. Many members of the LDS faith or um, otherwise known as Mormons, um, mm-hmm. predominantly white. And in particular, the county that you lived in, one of the less diverse counties, at least at the time. Yeah. And you have indicated that this all played into your character and who you are and who you Mm. have become. But some of that goes back to the mother who raised you. Well, I I say you you couldn't have um, painted a better picture to segue into that because essentially that's what I always felt like. I felt like I was in in this bubble that I didn't necessarily belong in at times, you know, and it wasn't anything people did that completely uh, dismissed me or anything like that. It's just, I knew my differences. I knew I wasn't a Mormon kid. I knew I wasn't a white kid. Uh, I, I knew there was different expectations on me from an academic sense where I had to be better than everybody else I felt like. And, you know, and my mom, you know, with four of us, and I'm the oldest, and so I, I did a I tried to do as much as I could as far as I got a job at a young age and she didn't pay for any of my sports and my camps or anything like that. And we did have families help us along the way. So I could experience some of those things as well. And that's what we can get to that later. But uh, she, she's always been kind of that rock. She's kind of been my, my role model. I mean, she had four kids by herself um, worked and then she went back to school in the middle of all that too, trying to get her degree finish her degree, I should say, because she wanted to elevate in her role. She was a, a bank teller at the time. And then she eventually moved up to a vice president's role with Key Bank uh, before retiring and then unretiring. Now she's retired again. But um, but so she taught me work ethic. She taught me how to work hard. Uh, the, probably the best story to some, some mate, my mom is, um, I was in sixth grade. I was at Highland Highland hiker that's in Ogden Utah and I was playing basketball and I remember I came home and told my mom I'm, I'm gonna go play in the NBA so I can buy us a house that was my goal that was my goal in life I wanted to play in the NBA so I could buy my mom a house well she she came home and I and this is pre-internet right this internet didn't start till I was a oh, senior yeah absolutely freshman high in college and she came home and posted on the refrigerator the probability of 
that happening in each major sport in the, in America, the NHL, NBA, MLB, and of course the NFL. And, you know, the numbers were like crazy, like one in a million chance in, in baseball or one in two in basketball, one in th whatever. I can't even remember what the numbers were. I just remember they were so astronomical when I looked at them like, whoa, that's discouraging. Well, literally one in a million. Yes, literally. Like there's no chance, right? Like this little 11-year-old boy from Ogden, Utah at the time, there's no way he's making it, right? And she did that not as a discouragement, but more or less to say, I understand that's your goal. And at the time I took it as a slap in the face, but I, now I get it as an adult and as a father myself, um, that she was saying, I get it. Uh, that's your dream. However, you can't skip steps. You can't have your dream by not going to get getting your education. You can't have your raise to play sports. You, you know, there's certain things you have to do before that. You got to work hard. You got to do extra reps. You got to do some of the things. Of course, talent helps, but you had to do some other stuff, like stuff like probably Dusty didn't even know I did where I would <laughs> drill the ball to the park and go shoot and, and to be cold outside. A lot of people don't even realize I was doing stuff like that. Or football season, I went to the park and was running sprints and things like that. So, you know, just stuff people didn't see me do that I was doing on my own. But, and so I tested my mom on that one time. Later that year, um, grades came out and the basketball season is, is full, full swing. And I got a, like a one point something and I got A and you could probably guess what that A was in. Uh, and I, I, I talk about this when I go talk to kids and most people, of course, PE was the A and I said, no, nah, it was science, but you know, <laughs> it really was. I was going to say wait, but. <laughs> but it really was PE. Of course, my A was in PE and I had D's and F's and C's and she was like, nope, you're not playing. Well, keep in mind, I am the oldest, um, so I am the example. And she was like, no. If it Basically, her thought was, if I get out of the line, then my, my three siblings, it's going to be harder to keep them in line. She's by herself. So she took it away. I begged, 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 plead, 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 cry, 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 until finally she caved towards the end of the Christmas break. And I, I missed a couple games. I had to sit there on the bench. She made me go to the games. I had to sit there on the bench. She knew. It all, it all. She made you go watch. You still went, but watch. you just sat. I just sat there and they ate me up. And finally she she granted me that opportunity to play with some parameters in place. I was progress monitored. Each teacher had to sign off on what I was doing. If I had anything below what B, I couldn't play. And it was done. There was no conversation. Well, that was the last time I got anything below a 3.0. Well, I had a 2.96 in high school, but she she let that one slide. But that was the last time I got anything below a 3.0. And I, I say that, and it sounds well and good, and it's true. You know, I graduated right about 3.4 in high school and things like that, but I realized I still un, I underperformed. I, I did that to appease my mom to make sure I can play sports. And I was getting Bs without extending myself and now on this side of life playing sports uh i've done playing sports and understanding the value of education i see now where i went wrong and i wasted so much time and i could have helped myself as i got older if i i had the same energy towards my school as i did sports and i did well enough yeah. i mean i was 
a high B kid, you know? And, and again, I didn't take any honors classes. I did, I did enough to make my mom happy and, you know, getting a 3.3, 3.4 graduating with a high GPA was, was good enough for her. And it was good enough for me. And it got me into school and, and things like that. But I, now as an adult, I can see, man, I should have extended myself, even if, you know, even if it meant I had to work a little harder to keep that B average to, you know, to make sure my mom was happy and to still play sports. But that wasn't my, that wasn't it for me. I wanted to play basketball in the NBA and that was my way to do it. So um, yeah. lesson, lessons learned and, and that's kind of what my story has changed now to what I'm doing currently. You told me a lot of people assume that just because I was an athlete, I did not have to work hard or work for yeah. anything. And uh, I, I know, again, going back to my husband, that the two of you shared, you didn't share, you each had your own, but you had a job through high school. Yeah. And, and that was working at a movie theater. Do you see that same kind of work ethic in students today? Do you see these kids mm -hmm. who are working jobs plus going to practice, maybe doing two a days. Do you see parents who are still pushing their kids to the level of holding them accountable in mm. the same manner that your mom did to you on that day when you came home with a low GPA? Um, no, uh, to your second question, and or actually to both. Uh, I think that's unique and even more so, I don't see as many kids playing multiple sports as I did growing up, you know, Dusty's football, basketball player, probably could have played baseball. I could have played soccer. We had a lot of guys in our school play two and three sports. And that was kind of the norm. Whereas now you don't see that as much. And so to, to your question, to your point, um, like I, again, I, cause my mom couldn't afford stuff. So circumstances were a little different. Dusty's parents had that work ethic. He was like, I'm not paying for everything. You got to figure out, you got a car. We'll help you get the car, but you got to put gas in it. And uh, you know, those types of things. And, sure. and still that responsibility and accountability in him and myself included, where I, you know, if I wanted to play sports, it cost this much money. I, my mom didn't have it. So how am I going to get it? I had to work, you know? And so that's, that's what we did. Well, now it feel like, you know, everybody, but the majority, I feel like the parents move obstacles out the way. It's like, yeah, don't worry about going to school. Just get your education right now. Well, there's, amen, and not, there's some value in that. Don't get me wrong. There definitely is. You know, you, you want them to focus in on school, get the grades. But there, I, I don't see why you can't hold a, a weekend job or even one night a week. And I've had players that I've coached um, when I was a coach as well. And I've had several that come from similar backgrounds where single mom and at the practice, he went to work. After work, he went home and did his homework, you know, and, and that's kind of his norm. He was tired. And I said, man, look, I get it. You can't give up, man. You got to make sure you take care of school. School comes first. Grades aside, man, if you need, you know, so we, and I was able to have that conversation. Why? Because I can relate to it. I was that kid. And so all that to say, I feel like at times, parents want to remove the obstacle away and say, oh, don't worry about that. I literally have parents asking teachers to excuse them for not doing their homework because he had two soccer games or two practices last night and he was just too tired. I didn't make him do his homework. Like, what is that? My mom would have never done that. Like, you, your school comes first. That travel soccer team or travel volleyball team, 
that means nothing. That's going to end. I don't care if you go play professional. It's going to end at some point. I was 30 years old when I stopped playing ball. I like to believe I'm 45 now. I like to believe I got a few more years left in me. In fact, I'm to the point now where I play, I'm doing this longer than I did playing ball. So I have a long life to live after playing sport. It ends at some point. And especially when you're playing the small sports like soccer, volleyball, things like that, where it doesn't have the, the following, if you will, is football and basketball. And so, yeah, I, to your question, I don't, I don't necessarily see it often. Now, there are occasions I do see that, and I tend to bond with those families a little more. It's like, man, thank you. I love to see that because that's what I knew growing up. And it's, 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 it's refreshing to see that accountability piece. Like, oh no, they're gonna pay for it themselves. Oh no, they gotta go to work. And I, and I love seeing that now. Would I love for my mom to be able to afford me not having to work up until one o'clock in the morning on a couple of nights a week and be able to afford the shoes that I wanted and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. But I will say by me having to do that, learning that accountability, learning that responsibility, learning that time management, it has helped me as an adult. And, and there's some lessons in that, that, that hard work, that perseverance, as I like to believe is what helped me um, make it to the NFL and, and what I'm doing post NFL, as far as uh, going back to school and getting a doctorate. And I've told people before me getting a doctorate is even a greater feat than getting drafted in the first round of the NFL. And people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm, I'm like, no, seriously, like athletics is what I knew. School is not. I did school so I can play sports. And so, but all those things that made me a successful athlete, I was, I, I learned after the fact that I, oh, do those same things when it comes to your education. Oh, it works. And <laughs> I, I, and it worked out for me. So it's interesting. Life, life experience teaches us a lot. And I'm one of those people, you can't replace experience in a lot of things that you do. You and I talked earlier about uh, the kids today who are living in a world of instant gratification. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in the middle school and, uh, and your whether it's your school or the school down the street or in another state. I know it's the same across the board. Yeah. Um, and I loved this analogy you gave that when you and I were in school, if we needed to research something, we pulled out a physical book and we turned the pages and we looked up and we read on a piece of paper in the dictionary or the encyclopedia. And then you said, you know, we went to this kind of middle ground or this next step where, well, at least the students had to type on a keyboard. And you said, today, the kids don't even type on the keyboard. They just talk to Siri and say, hey, Siri, tell me. Mm -hmm. So yeah. talk to me about what that's doing to our kids and then uh, share some advice or some thoughts with us about what we can do to help change and to, because now coming back to this quote, nothing is more important than the future of our children. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for those of us who are still raising young kids and have teenagers at home? Girl, you about to put me in my soapbox. Now, listen, so this is, uh, this is, I did my dissertation on literacy and okay. my research was on the decline in literacy is, is in particular in secondary education and in the United States. And so technology is great. There's a lot of uh, things that come great from the advancement of technology However, I do believe it has hurt the general education of especially in America 
and our expectations thereof. We have we have extended the level of rigor in courses, but we have belittled the expectations thereof. Meaning, it's okay if you're not spelling correctly, but we're grading the content, overall content, uh, things of that nature, and with the high stakes testing. So this is just, of course, this is my opinion, and I have some research to back up some of the stuff I'm about to say, but we text in shorthand. These kids read in shorthand. They communicate in shorthand. So when I don't even know how to spell the basic words, uh, I'll take a word, responsibility. You know, if they don't, instead of me having to go look it up in dictionary and find some other words or finding out responses, sounded out phonetics and all that kind of stuff, I just literally pick up my phone and say, hey, Siri, how do you spell responsibility? Hey, Siri, what's the square root of 144? Hey, Siri, my phone is, is buzzing right now if I'm saying it. So, it, so it's interesting. We live in this pop pill culture instead of going to the gym, lifting weights to, to lose weight or get trim or get fit. We, hey, give me this pill. It'll, it'll knock it off. Or, man, I'm, what are we going to do for dinner? What's in the microwave? Let's put something in the microwave instead of cutting up vegetables, doing everything else. Even, even as much as people go to grocery store to one-stop shop now, you know, it, it, super, super targets and supermarkets. We are, we're all about the convenience of life and we have lost sight of the inconveniences that were, in my opinion, necessary for life. And we as adults, and it's not the kid's fault, it's our, as the parent's fault, have removed some of those things away from them, some of that blue collar work ethic, some of that blue collar things in life, and no, I'll just do it. So now we got a generation of kids growing up not being able to do the basics of life things as like doing the dishes, doing their own laundry. Kids are going to college and like, I've never done my laundry before. I'm like, what are you telling me? Like, that's that's a thing, you know? And so, yeah, I, you know, living in a, what I, the microwave or the pop pill culture, you know, they're so entrenched with technology and reliant on technology that some of the simple things in life are missing in for them because they don't know any different. I think a lot of everything you just summed up comes back to us as the parents. When mm -hmm. we do we, when we do not hold our children accountable, we are enabling that behavior that we turn around and complain about. Yeah, yeah uh, a South Carolina basketball coach, the year they made a big run in NC2A tournament and he was asked a similar question. And I, Frank, I forget his last name right now, but he said, in the art today's players different. And to his point, and to, to, it kind of comes full circle to your question, he said, it's not the kids are different, we're different, the adults are different. We're more accommodating, we don't hold them accountable. We allow mediocrity in, in practices and in games. We let kids get away with stuff. We, we, as the adults have changed, have become more accommodating. It's not the kids. Now, how do you change that? Well, then parents have to bring back that the rain a little bit as we had and tighten things up. Like when you and I were growing up and I wasn't able to, I wasn't, my mom, when I was in eighth grade, I wasn't able to stay out till midnight. If I went home by nine o'clock, I was in 
trouble. You know what I mean? The only sure. reason I could stay up late in high school like that for the most part was because I was working. Yeah. And so as I got off work, I had to go straight home. I wasn't going to parties. You know what I mean? Now, if I did go to the party or something like that, I still had a curfew. You know what I mean? And some of these mm-hmm. kids stay out all night and have no responsibility. And parents are like, oh, they're okay. I've even had instances where parents have thrown parties for their kids. And you can imagine. And so the the distinction between the adult and child is blurred because you're the fun parent. And so these other parents are thinking you're going to be responsible as they are yet they're going over there and they're having a good time and because you're the fun parent and so I, you know seeing that and and it's interesting because we if if you're talking about that generation being born from 1970 to 1980 we weren't raised that way for the most part so it's interesting dynamic because these now are the kids in school for the most part. Now, some of these kids trying to transition into high school. So you're talking about the 85 to 90, 85 to 90 range of having kids now coming up. But now it's interesting because my generation, I don't know who to date you, but our generation is the ones that are, these are our kids and it, we can call it what it is. Technology, we've gotten soft, whatever you want to call it is different. And I can only imagine what this generation to come is going to look like when they literally wake up and they have technology on their thumbs as soon as they can open their eyes and that's all they know. So it's, it's interesting dynamic. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent for old school. I still want as people, if I read a newspaper, I don't read online. I rather read it in paper. I, you know, I still read hardback, but I got books right by me. I still, if I'm reading, I read that, you know, now I'm like everybody else. If my conveniences are not working, I'm I'm upset. Like, sure. what do you mean? They're taking too long for the internet to get going. Like, why is it taking so long? So, um, well, you're speaking my language. I have to tell you, <laughs> when I get a text and somebody spells your, you are, I cringe yeah. every time. It's not your. It's y o u r. R. Yeah. I want to I, end things on a high note because we're okay. we're talking a little bit about some of the struggles we're seeing with our kids today. So let's. Let's go back to the office and take a note from the principal. Um, tell us something positive that you're seeing and, and um, give those of us who are listening in today um, something that gives us hope for the future. Well, I will say this. These kids are challenged academically way more than we, we were. What I am seeing from a mental health standpoint, from an anxiety standpoint, is some of the pressures of that because the rigor is so extended. Um, these kids have from high stakes testing, which we had some of that with ACT and things like that, but they have it every year. And that's part of the norm now, this culture is you have to extend the kids a little more. So kids are doing pre-algebra work and things in as opposed to middle school. So it's gone down. And so they've extended that rigor to help close that economic academic gap in the in the world, not just in the country, in the world, where the U.S. used to be in the top now or fall somewhere in the middle, like 11, 12, 13 or something like that. Uh, I haven't looked at that number a long time, but so so it's there. I just don't, the, the thing about it is um, us as the adults allowing kids to fail 
you know, kids get into these tough courses and it's like, I can't do it. And so parents will say, you know, hey, he's struggling. He's getting a C. I want to pull him because I want him to have A's because, you know, that was big when we were kids. You had to have A's and B's, but it wasn't about the rigors. It's about the GPA. Well, GPA is not nearly as important anymore as it once was. Now colleges want to see how many honors classes did you take? How many AP classes did you take? Did you volunteer outside of school? Did you play sports outside of school? So it becomes about the holistic student and not just GPA. Well, we, again, our generation, we're used to GPA being such an important thing that we we lose sight of the fact that these kids are being challenged beyond what we ever were. And so a kid getting a B or a C in an AP class is like him getting an A or B in a college course, realistically, because that's what they're, that's what they're equating them to. And so, but we didn't have those opportunities. So all that to say, these kids are persevering in their way a little bit different um, than even we did as a, as grown as a young adults um, in our adolescent years. I think, uh, and they're they're finding ways to do it, and they just keep trudging them along. I mean, these kids are doing stuff. I'm like, I didn't learn that until junior in high school, and these are middle school kids, and it's it's amazing. And so there is that these kids still are gritty. They're persevering, persevering, they're resilient. I mean, right now with COVID, they have all found ways to just cope and deal. I mean, who wants to wear a mask eight hours out of the day? Nobody, but these kids are finding it and making ways. Teachers are finding ways and getting it done. And and that speaks volumes to the human spirit. I mean, right, it's just, we still overcome. Every time something uh, challenges the human spirit we find ways to overcome that's what we keep seeing with kids that human spirit and that that's that's a joy to watch i love watching i see kids like that light bulb moment come up and i think that's one of the reasons i stayed in education is like when you see that kid he like you know oh okay i get it and then they persevere and it's like oh i can, I can do this you know because sometimes i wish that's all it was taken for me and i had a few teachers that were like that and I had a teacher, Miss Smith, at, at Clearfield, and English wasn't my best sport. I mean, my best subject. I felt like math was, but I enjoyed her English class. And why? Because she took an interest in me. She saw me struggling, and she took pulled me aside, and she held me up. She held me out so much that, that I became a teacher assistant for her uh, in my senior year and helped her out. So we absolutely can make a difference in kids' life. And, and I tell my teachers, the there, there's, it's hard to be in the middle with the kid. You know, when the kid leaves your experience in your classroom, you're going to be one side of the equation. He's going to enjoy you or he's going to hate you. But if they're going to remember you, which one would you rather be? And so, you know, you build the relationships with kids. Um, so, yeah, man, I, you know, it's exciting. I think because of COVID, we have developed a system of remote learning that because technology has trended that way in post-secondary school with colleges and, and things of that nature and jobs. But due to COVID, counties, states, districts, uh, cities had to rethink how they did things because now there is this aspect of virtual learning. Well, if you go back, 
there's been a rise in suicide, teen suicide, teen anxiety, social emotional, and kids that just could not sit in the building but didn't necessarily have any options other than homeschool. Well, now because of COVID, you're looking like, oh, here's another aspect for, for another group of kids that want to have an experience from school and maybe somewhat social, but are anxious within that building. So there has been some beauty in sure. all of this and, and uh, we'll see what the next few years unfolds. Well, Dr. Dyson, time flies. We have had so much fun catching up with you today and we've covered a lot. We've talked about everything from sports to life at home. We've talked about your wonderful mother and we've talked about our children who are in school today and you have helped us to some peace and reassurance in knowing that the future of our country is in good hands. We know that you are very busy and really appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your day to be here with us. So thank you. Absolutely. I had a good time anytime, man. I, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, um, it was fun talking to take me down memory lane a little bit. And um, it, it was fun. And like you said, it was a good mix between sport, life and education. And, and that to me is part of who I am. So thank you. For everyone who has been with us for the past hour or tuned in late, we have been visiting with Dr. Kevin Dyson. He is a former professional football player and today serves as a middle school principal in Tennessee. You can catch more of the Unalike podcast. We are on Facebook and Instagram. You can always watch us on YouTube or you can stream from your favorite podcast streaming service. Thank you for being here and we'll see you again next time. Thank you.